Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We'll continue learning from the life of Joseph in our series, Living with Integrity. Today's message is titled, Opportunities. Today we'll learn how to respond and express our faith. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. What a powerful line, chasing your voice in the dark. You ever, done, you ever been there? You were in the dark and you were trying to find God's voice. Following. We continue our survey of Joseph's life called Living with Integrity. Now, y'all, y'all know what integrity means, right? Who's, who's got it for me? Come on, what's the definition? We'll be stuck right here for an hour. Yes, I'll get both of those. That was a good one. You do the same thing when nobody's watching, and this one is, what was it, somebody back there? Your actions match your belief. Yes, there's a consistency between what you say you believe and how you behave. They're integrated. That's where the word integrity means. There's a, there's a contextualization, internal wholeness. The theme verse from Galatians 6.10. You can take your outline out. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. The opportunity I'm referring to is recognizing and taking advantage of a situation to influence someone toward God by expressing your faith. You may say, well, I can't do that. I I work with unbelievers or or I work for the government. I'm not allowed to say anything. But that's not what the First Amendment means. The First Amendment mitigates against the government establishing a religion. It does not forbid you expressing your personal faith. But let's say, okay, but you feel like because of who you work with or whatever, it feels like you or at least your faith is imprisoned. Well, so was Joseph. So we'll see what we can learn from him. In prison, which was Genesis 40, Joseph interpreted the dreams of two of Pharaoh's staff people. What were they? What, was their, what were their roles? Baker and cupbearer. Yeah, chief baker and chief cupbearer. What uh, chief cupbearer? What happened to the baker? Put to death. His head was lifted up and removed. And the chief cupbearer, what happened to him? Released and restored. Good. Joseph, remember, I think, I think in kind of a weak moment. I think anytime we... We give up on God and we start asking people to fix our lives for us. We've entered a weak moment. Joseph asked the cupbearer to mention him to the Pharaoh. Thinking it might be his chance to be freed. But the cupbearer forgot about him. So let's set the scene. This is completely blanked out. 
chapter 41. Two full years, years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up from behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood behind the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Now you have to understand that Pharaoh was considered to be the incarnation of the god Horus. I have a teleprompter, but it's all yellow. So Marissa, tell them everything is gone. So I may have to preach from notes like in the old days. How about that? <laughs> so Pharaoh was the incarnation. They believed he was divine. And he was supposed to be the human incarnation of the god, the Egyptian god Horus. His mother was the goddess Isis, and Isis was depicted as a cow. That's not very complimentary, is it? <laughs> but understand that the reason that, yes, he had the dream, but people have strange dreams. But you see, this dream had some, some particular importance to him because a cow represented his mother's line, which represented his own divine line. But he fell asleep again, we continue, and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. Now the dreams of kings were considered to be important divine messages. So we're going to learn from this part of Joseph's story how we are supposed to respond to opportunities. When responding to opportunities, first, rely on God. Now, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. In this Bible, page 37. Verse 8. The next morning... Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. Understand this. Okay, you say, well, they were strange. Yes, they were strange. But the Pharaoh was considered to be divine. Therefore, he had supernatural power over the earth, which meant 
He was responsible for the livestock birthing healthy cows, for the rain coming and it providing a, a wonderful harvest. The Nile would flood every year and it would leave a very fertile soil. So if the harvest was bad, if the cows were sick, they blamed Pharaoh, the king. Because, and it, it appeared then that he was a weak king or he might not really be divine. So they'd be looking to replace him, which would mean him losing his life to be replaced. So he called for all the magicians and wise men to discern the will of the gods. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. After two years of saying nothing, why do you think he didn't say anything for two years? You think he just forgot? You ever had a really bad experience? Anybody ever have a really bad experience, even a life-threatening one? What did you like referring people to it? He did not want this Pharaoh to ever think again about putting him in prison because he might have an idea to put him there again. Because remember, the cupbearer apparently was innocent, but yet he was in prison. So for two years, he said nothing. I don't think he just forgot. I think he didn't want to bring this matter up. So drop to verse 12. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Now imagine if you're Joseph. It seemed that every time he tried to help someone, he was betrayed and mistreated. Anybody ever felt like that? You do something good and you receive something bad. Think about it. When he was sent by his father to check on the welfare of his brothers, what happened? Kidnapped, thrown in a cistern, and sold into slavery. While faithfully serving his Egyptian master, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife came on to him, and when he rebuffed her, he was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. After interpreting the dream of this cupbearer, it appeared he was completely forgotten. So Joseph must have felt abandoned by people, was he? Yeah, he was. And by God. Was he? No, he wasn't. Hebrews 13, verse 5. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can people do to me? 
Do you believe that truth? Is it a truth to you? Anybody in a place where they need that truth? God did cause. Remember this, though. Don't give God excuses. God is sovereign. So God did cause, or at the very least, allow Joseph to suffer through repeated trials. Why? What do you think? Why? Say it louder. To grow his faith. In particular, when you're, when you're proud, what does that do to your faith? It weakens it. It diminishes it. It may destroy it. There's only room in a life for one God. So Joseph, we, you've all said he, he sure appeared arrogant when he was a teenager. Joseph needed to become humbled to learn to rely on God alone, not to depend on people to deliver him. See, the point is that God cares more about our character than our comfort. And he's more concerned with preparing us for his purpose than fulfilling our plans. Sometimes we can think that if God is good to us, he carries out exactly what we want. But in reality, if we're good to God, we carry out what he wants to please him. You see, no person and no prison can prevent us from fulfilling his plan for our lives. You may say, but but not everybody fulfills God's plan, do they? I, I, I don't think they do. But remember Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. But there were some conditions. Remember the conditions? Love God is the first one. What's the second one? Called according to whose purpose? His purpose. Now that really reorders that verse, doesn't it? God arranges opportunities. God removes obstacles which allow us to express our faith. Even to the person who might right now not be interested. Who might even be antagonistic to the gospel. You know the one who is the most aggressive against the gospel is the one who's the closest to being reached. Did you know that? The one who's the hardest to reach is the one who's utterly indifferent. Not offended by what you believe, just doesn't care. Like the Easter Bunny or something, God is to them. They're the, they're the hardest. But the one that's already worked up and angry, that's the one to reach. And it may be the one God's showing you. But you don't go in aggressively. You go in humbly with questions. Why do you believe what you do? And sometimes that door just springs open. God prepares people to hear. Do you believe that? He enables them to understand the story of Christ by his spirit. They can't understand it solely with human reason. You can accept and believe the facts about the gospel. 
Absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're born again. Because being born again is an encounter with the Spirit whereby He changes you and illuminates you. Does that make sense? So we need to be careful. Now, well, are you saying you don't believe children can be saved? I believe very young children can be saved. I believe John the Baptist actually was born saved and met the Spirit in his mother's womb. So I believe very young children can be saved. But it, there, no one, not me, not you, is saved apart from an encounter with the Spirit of God whereby he gives you new birth. John, John 6, 44, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, spiritually discerned. So right now, are you watching for where God is working? Do you already know? Do you have an idea where God is working around you? Do you know which person? It might not be one you like. In fact, I think often it's someone you don't like. Because God needs to change you as he reaches them. He changes the instrument as well as the recipient. But is God preparing someone in your circle to hear? And if so... Are you ready to respond when God opens the door, when he provides the opportunity? When responding to opportunities also, recommend God-given solutions. Verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison. We'll skip down to 16, to 15. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now look at this next verse. It is beyond my power to do this. Would you have said that? I mean, the king has brought you out of prison. He's asking you, and he's heard you can interpret dreams. And he says, I heard you can interpret dreams. Can you? Don, what would you have said? Yes. <laughs> well, I do have that ability. But God, I, I have no power to do this. It is beyond my power to do this. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. That does not seem like a wise thing to say, does it? Because I think that we often don't think God is as real as our efforts. And so we're always trying to wrangle the situation, aren't we? Change the circumstances. Because we might pray, but we kind of think God is almost imaginary in terms of real intervention. So this is counterintuitive that he would say this. And, and we would have even understood if Joseph had said, well, yeah, I can interpret dreams. I mean, and it wouldn't have been completely false, would it? 
He just would be taking credit he didn't deserve. In fact, mentioning the Hebrew God to this idol-worshiping king, that doesn't seem like a good idea either, does it? Why did he do it? Because Joseph knew God. Because his relationship with God was a fact in his life. In fact, you can, go, you can say this. It was the defining fact in his life. So he didn't determine whether he mentioned God's name by how it would be received. Verse 17, so Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. Drop to 25. Joseph responded. I'm, we've already read that dream, so we're not going to reread it just for time. I'm skipping through. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. He just keeps mentioning God, doesn't he? Can you imagine The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represented seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. Drop to 29. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all of the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. That doesn't seem like the wise thing to say either, does it? One of us might have said what? What would you have said, Lloyd? I've got a plan. I bet you, Carla, when you say that, I've got a plan. Mm -mm. It's not what he did. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to the Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it So there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph expressed the guidance of God. He didn't conceal the source of his advice, did he? He didn't even try to use the opportunity to benefit himself. But remember, this is a guy lifted out of prison. And he refuses to benefit himself and take advantage of the situation. When we see an opportunity to assist, we too must be sure that we are providing God's guidance and identify it as such. 
Because only his opinion is right. Only his insight is true. You know, when we're trying to help someone who's in a a moral dilemma or an immoral dilemma, should I say, and we're trying to help them, give them some perspective, give them some ideas, sometimes we don't tell them God's perspective on their moral situation, do we? Because we fear rejection, right? But when we do that, we are denying those people an opportunity to encounter God. We are determining that they won't respond to God in advance. Because we fear they might say something unkind to us. Or they might look at us differently, right? James 1. If you need wisdom, if you're in one of these situations where you have to give some advice or you need some advice, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Translated loosely into practical terms, paraphrased, it's saying, if you don't intend to do it, don't ask. See, we can sometimes say, well, God has an opinion, and we think that's a good opinion. But sometimes we go, but our culture thinks this, and we're afraid to tell the truth of God because it clashes diametrically against what our culture is saying. And so you might not say the culture's opinion, particularly on moral matters, goodness. The Bible and our culture disagree on almost every moral matter today. Isn't that true? And so if we're silent, where are people going to hear God's truth? How will they know how to step out of their dilemma? But we're scared of how we're personally responded to. But it's interesting. He says, don't waver. Because if you're double-minded, in other words, if God's opinion and this world's opinion is equally valid to you, he's saying, don't even ask. Because you're so unstable, you can't be relied, relied on. He won't give you an answer. So when you have a situation like this, and they come to our lives frequently, do you express God's perspective? Do you offer His advice regardless of what the response might be? When responding to opportunities, represent God in every situation. Verse 37. Pharaoh's suggestions were well received. I mean, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Obviously, Pharaoh's, I mean, they had thousands of gods and none of them could help. But Joseph's singular one God 
which would seem to be overmatched by all these thousands of Egyptian gods, only Joseph's God could give an answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. So Joseph is elevated. He's now 30 years old. And it looks like a great success, right? Everything's going glowingly. He's been in Egypt 13 years. How many of us have the patience to wait one year for something to work out? Not many of us do. 13 years. And not 13 years in wonderful comfort. May have been, he may have had a comfortable life some of the years in Potiphar's house. But he's been in prison for a number of years. And he's been a slave throughout all of it. When we faithfully represent God in every encounter with others. Now I'm not saying be brutal to people or be harsh or be aggressive. Be humble. Be gentle. But represent God. When you do, they will see your godly character. They will recognize the conviction of your life that's not controlled by your circumstances or the crowd around you. And it will attest to the reality of your faith. If you're trying too hard to fit in with that crowd, they just don't see anything at all. They just know you go to church sometimes. Verse 47. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops, confirming God's revelation. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He just, you can read all this, all this I'm leaving out. You can read it this afternoon, but I'm just hitting highlights. And another one I want you to see is that Joseph, Joseph continued to practice his faith, both publicly, but also privately, because it was his identity. It was who he was. Look at verse 51. Here we see it in his own family. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. And here's the translation. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Literally, the Hebrew was was to forget. In other words, this son was named God has comforted me. In my suffering. Now can you imagine the faith? Every time you call your child. You're not only declaring. That God has comforted you. He's healed your pain. But you're also teaching that child. That principle. Because it's built into his name. And Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said. God has made me fruitful. In this land of my grief. 
And again, whenever he called Ephraim, he's saying, all of my accomplishments are because of God. Not because of my intelligence or my talent. And so we see that, that even in the names of his children, Joseph is declaring his faith. At 53, at least the seven years of bumper crops, at last the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Now, I want you to understand this. As parents, we will always communicate our values to our children. Even if we don't tell our coworker what we believe, we will tell our children because these are the people, even above more than our spouse, our children are the people we are most invested in in terms of shaping their lives. They're the ones we're most concerned about. What do we need to teach them? How can we cause them to avoid our mistakes? So a child will hear what his parents values the most. A child will know the convictions of his parent. And he or she will know it whether you speak it or not. If you fail to speak it, they'll still discern it. If you go home right now and you ask your child, what do you think matters to me? What's important? See, the point is, it doesn't really matter what you say is important. Because they're going to know what you show. And they're going to know the true you. Verse 56. So with severe famine everywhere... Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Which would provide for the preservation of God's people. What assignment has God given you? Do you know that every one of us has at least one assignment? A calling, let me put it that way. Do you know that? If you belong to God, you have one or more callings. Well, what does it look like? Well, it may be your calling as a spouse, as a parent, a son or daughter. Might be as a teacher, an employer, or an employee. Might be a politician or a, you know, someone who serves people. But if you're a believer in Christ, then every job you carry out is carried out unto Christ. And we have a calling on our lives for the way we carry out our assignments. And so in those assignments, now in your mind, you can, you've listed several, hopefully you've identified several. Do you represent God in the way you are carrying out 
your callings in every area. Look at this, Matthew 5. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. For them to praise our Father because of the work we're doing and the way we're doing it, they have to know our motivations, don't they? We have to reveal the source, the cause, the, the, the reason we live and act and speak the way we do. But when they see it, they'll see God working through us. We have counselors that will be here to pray with you, to talk with you. And maybe, maybe something I've said has, you know, touched a nerve. Or maybe the Spirit told you something had nothing to do with this message, but it's something He wants you to deal with. Our, our care volunteers will be here. They'll be at the care connection room where there's privacy across the concourse. They'll anoint you with oil for healing if you're concerned about an emotional or a physical illness. And they'll stay with you as long as you need for them to. Father, thank you for calling us to an assignment that's right from your hands. Lord, enable us to to know that you are directing us and, and encourage us. In other words, put courage in us so that we can carry out our calling in a way that represents you in a way that reveals you in a way that glorifies your name and draws attention to your son in whose name we pray amen thank you for coming please help us by stacking chairs thanks for joining us for this week's podcast next week we'll continue exploring the life of joseph in our series living with integrity to prepare read genesis chapter 42 be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the living with integrity series if you like what you've been hearing leave a review so that others can also discover on how they can have a transformed life in christ you can watch a video of this week's message listen to worship or search through our message archives visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. You can get connected to Brookwood. Email us connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.